Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. And if you'll turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6, and if you need a Bible, ushers have one in hand. Maybe you left yours at home or in the car, just wave at them. Um, We put the scripture on the screen, but I'd love for you to have your own copy of God's Word. You can see it for yourself. Plus, I'm kind of old school that way. I, I like real books and real pages. Um, so uh, if you need one, just wave at these guys. Matthew chapter 6. If I were going to title this message today, and I'm not, I'm not always big on titles, but if I were going to title it, I would give you a choice. The title would give you a choice. You can have Christmas-free anxiety or an anxiety-free Christmas. Which one do you want? Christmas-free anxiety or an anxiety-free Christmas? Yeah, I, I mean, as Forrest Gump would say, I'm not a smart man, but you know, that one's not hard to figure out, is it? You say, what do you mean a Christmas-free, Christmas-free anxiety? Well, Christmas is Christ. It's just celebration. We celebrate him every day, but in a very special way, that's what Christmas is. We're celebrating Christ. We're celebrating God's love expressed to us as human beings and God's son coming, taking on this human form. And so when we say Christmas, we really say Christ. And if you and I understand what that means and, and, and walk and live in that, it's amazing how I can have a Christ-filled Christmas, anxiety seems to go way, way down. If my Christ-filled Christmas goes down, then my anxiety will go way, way up. It just works that way. And don't take my word for it. Jesus is going to tell you that this morning. When Matthew chapter 6, he's going to deal with this whole issue of anxiety, of worry, of dread. I mean, there's, there's different words that we could put on this, but I think we all understand what it means. We've all experienced it to one degree or another. Some of you have it today, this morning, about all kinds of things. And I'm not saying that the things that you may be anxious about are illegitimate. They're probably not. They're probably very real and, and important in many cases. But Jesus said, I've got a different way for you. I've got a kingdom way for you. So I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Then he gets gets more specific, because that's very general. Don't be anxious about your life. Which life do you think he's talking about? Which life? This one, right? This life. We're going to find out that's exactly what he's talking about, because he says, what you will eat or what you will drink. So these basic needs that you have, don't be anxious about that. Nor about your body, what you will put on, how you're going to clothe, how you're going to protect, how you're going to have the things that are necessary for life. He says, don't be anxious, don't worry about that. He says, is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Isn't life more than just meeting these physical needs, meeting these these needs that we have, whether they're what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, the money that we make to be able to live, the necessary resources that, that allow us to live life here in this place where God has put us. He says life is more than that. And he goes on 
And the next verse, he says, look at the birds. He says, I want to give you an example. Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. How many of you like to watch birds? There's a number of you like to watch birds. Um, and there, there are lots of them around, especially this time of year, to be able to go and, and watch the birds. He said, while you're looking at the birds, I want you to notice something. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. They don't break up the ground. They don't put seed in it. They don't make sure it gets what it needs. They don't have to harvest it. They don't have to do any work and put it in barns. They don't do any of that. They don't do any of the work that you tend to do. And again, he's not criticizing farming, okay? He's just making a point. He said, they don't do any of that, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You ever notice that? It doesn't mean that they're not engaged. They, have, they are wired in such a way to gather food the way the Father intended. But they don't worry or stress over it. Because he set it up in such a way to provide for them. They don't have to make it happen. He's provided it for them. He goes on and he says, are you not of more value than they? If I do that for the birds, imagine what I do for you. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Which of you, by worrying, can make yourself live longer? Or change what's happening? I mean, I can tell you so many times I have laid in my bed worrying about a situation I have yet, in all of my hours of worrying, I have yet to change that situation one iota. How many of you have the same testimony? All right? Here's our problem. And I want to tell you, this is another lie the enemy slips in, and this is for free, okay? I'm fixing to give you something for free, all right? <laughs> Some of us feel guilty if we don't worry because we feel like we're not doing our part. That's a lie from the enemy. Jesus said, I never intended for you to lay there and worry so that you could do your part, then I'd, I'd jump in and save the day because you did your part and worried. We feel guilty. He goes on. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Look at the flowers. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so loved, notice, notice what, or so prepared, notice what it says, but if God, so where's the next one? There we go. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, burned up, it's gone, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. We tend to think he's saying, oh, you of little faith. You know, he, he's angry, he's upset. No, his heart's broken. You ever been that way with your kids or your grandkids? They're fighting so hard to do it another way, and you're just sitting there saying, oh, sweetie. Oh, it's like, if, if you just, if you just receive, if you just be open, if you just understand, you're doing it the hard way, and it's not necessary. Oh, ye of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't know Jesus, remember, oh, you don't remember because you weren't here. I think in 6.4 we talked about this, so you, some of you wouldn't remember. But in 6.4 we talked about this. There's two groups of people. There's only two kinds of people in the whole world, not men and women, not based on race or, or ethnicity or nationality or social economic status. No, there are only two kinds of people, those who are in Christ and those who are not. Only two kinds of people in the whole world. 
And, and what is he saying? The Gentiles, those who are not in Christ, that's, that's the connotation here, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. We've been talking about the kingdom all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. But seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's a whole different way of thinking. He said, my kingdom operates differently than this kingdom, so you're going to have to realize I'm going to change your way of thinking. And then that last verse, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. <laughs> I love that. It will worry about itself. Let it worry about its own self. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Notice what he says here. He does not say in some kind of Pollyanna sort of way that there are no troubles, so there's nothing to worry about. Don't worry about tomorrow because there are no troubles. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. He doesn't say that. He says each day has its own troubles. It's sufficient for the day. But you don't have grace today for tomorrow's troubles. You don't have it. You and I don't have We have grace today for today's troubles, but not tomorrow's. So he said, receive what I've got for you today. Go back to when he's teaching us to pray earlier in this chapter. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us today, Lord, what you've prepared, what you've designed for today. I can't do anything about tomorrow. I can't fix it. I don't have grace for it. Corey Tim Boone used to sh share the story of riding with her father, who was a, he was a clockmaker. He repair, repaired clocks and watches. And, and they sometimes would have to take a trip into the bigger city and if Corey went with him and she was asking this question about because she had gone to a funeral with her family and it had scared her she was a young child and it had scared her seeing this person who had died and she was asking questions about death and she was afraid and her her wise father looked at her and said Corey when you go with me on the train when do I give you your ticket and she goes well right before we get on the train papa he goes what do I do before then she goes well you walk with me and hold my hand and he says, our wise Heavenly Father does the same. He walks with you and me and holds our hand and he guides us until the very moment that we need the ticket. And when we need the ticket, he gives it to us. We're not wired that way. Lord, I want all my tickets now for all of life. For the whole rest of my life, I want all my tickets right now, today. Then I'll look through them and decide if I even want to get on that train, all right? The kingdom doesn't work that way, people. It doesn't work. It's a whole new kingdom. It's a whole new way of living. Now, I love it when God puts things together for me in a way I haven't seen exactly before. And he did that as I was going back through this passage. There are three primary things that the Lord talks about in this passage. Um, he talks about, he begins the chapter with giving. All right? And then he talks, in the center section, he talks about prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. But he talks about prayer and what it's supposed to look like. And then he gets, after that, he deals with fasting. So we have giving, praying, and fasting, these three. And I'm asking the Lord as I'm going through this, okay, Lord, I can, I can see these three things, but why are they significant? And why did you put them in the same place as this passage of Scripture, which tells us not to worry, not to be anxious? Why did you put them there? Is there any, here's a good question. Is there any connection between giving, praying, and fasting and not being anxious? And I'm here to tell you this morning, I believe there is. That's why Jesus put them this way. 
Now, I believe that you could line up each of these three with the, you could, the, if you go through, I think it's verse 19 is the end, where it talk, or verse 18 where it talks about fasting. It's the end of fasting. So 1 through 18 talks about giving, praying, fasting. Then immediately after that, he says, now, I don't want you to lay up treasure, okay? And so he begins to deal with this giving aspect. And then he says, I don't want you to be anxious. I think he's dealing with the praying aspect. And then he gets to the end of the chapter, and he says, I want you to seek the kingdom first. And I think that directly relates to the fasting. You say, are you saying I can't seek the kingdom if I don't fast? No, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I was asking the Lord, and I believe what he spoke to me as I was going through this. Lord, why is fasting even in this list, and why does it matter? And the Holy Spirit seemed to say, Troy, in all three of these, whether it's giving, praying, or fasting, all three of these help you let go of this kingdom so that you can grasp another. All three of them. Giving allows me to let go of that which is temporary so that I can grab hold of that which is eternal. I'm going to exchange. I'm making an exchange. I'm not saying that the temporary stuff here isn't important. It is important, especially depending on how you look at it and view it. But God's saying, I'm asking you to trust me and make an exchange. I want you to be willing to exchange the temporary for that which is eternal. I want you to as someone said last week after I finished the message, they came up with the, the, the saying, and you've probably heard this, um, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Have you guys ever heard that? Um, when it comes to things of this earth, you can't take it with you. Nobody, I had a pastor who used to say, you never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Someone said, unless they were the Blues Brothers. But anyway, um, <laughs> but aside from the Blues Brothers, you don't see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Why? Because you don't take it with you. But God set up a system, a method, that I actually can exchange it. So that rather than putting the emphasis on here, I exchange it for what's eternal and lasts forever. I told you last week, and I believe this with all of my heart based on Hebrews chapter 7, that God miraculously takes the resources that we, the temporal resources that we invest here, and he translates that, he turns them into souls. Not, not that, that didn't come out right. He doesn't literally turn them into souls, he uses it to save souls. He uses it to, to guide people. He uses it to change people. He uses it to rescue people. He uses it in a way that has eternal value. All three of these, giving, praying, fasting, help us. Now, fasting in particular was one I was wrestling with. Because like, Lord, I, don't, I see the other two. They make more sense to me, but not fasting. And here's what the Lord seemed to speak to me about fasting. He said, Troy... When you learn that you can delay gratification and not only survive but thrive, you'll get a bigger glimpse of the kingdom. Because when you and I don't eat, and eating is not bad. By the way, I recommend it. It's a good thing. I don't, God's not against it. He's, he's not against it. He's for it, all right? All right, so it's his idea, and it's a good idea. And I'm so grateful for the vision that he gave Peter with that sheet that came down and said, it's all clean, take and eat. Otherwise, my, my bacon would have been left out, all right? And so I, I'm grateful for that, all right? There's nothing wrong with food. Nothing at all. But the Lord says, I want you to understand that life is more than food and clothing. Life is more than those things. And if you'll trust me, if you'll walk with me when I prompt you, as a matter of fact, I would say again, we had the message on fasting here a couple weeks ago. And I would say again, as I said then, as the Spirit directs you, not because you see it as a religious duty, 
Not because it's something where you're going to manipulate and twist God's arm to make him do something. All right, that is not the purpose of fasting. The purpose of fasting is, God, you're speaking to me, you're stirring in me, and I'll respond and I'll trust you and I'll believe you. And one of the things, there, may, there are probably multiple things, but one of the things that God does when we trust him in this way is he causes us to understand that I can de delay gratification and not die. I won't die. I won't just limp through and make it by. I will actually thrive. I had someone call me a friend called me. They've been really struggling with some health issues. And they called after I preached that message. They listened on the podcast and they, and they heard that message on fasting. They said, you know, about a month ago, the Lord began to prompt me to fast. And I was kind of wrestling with that. Is that really Lord? Because I felt so bad. Just pain, lots of pain, uh, weakness, fatigue, just in bad shape. And I thought, fasting doesn't seem like the right... And matter of fact, it seems to fly in the face of medical counsel. That is, as weak as I am, they would tell me, I need to eat, I need to have protein, I need to, I need to have good food in my diet. Fasting didn't seem right, but there seemed to be just this prompting from the Lord to fast. And then you preach that message. And again, this strong prompting of the Lord. I want you to trust me in this and just fast. I talked to that individual this past week. They had been, at that time, they had been fasting for 10 days. And... Uh, it was amazing. They said, you would not believe. I have had pain one day out of the ten. Aside from that, I have no pain. Today, and on that particular day I was talking to them, I have abundant energy. I have energy like I have not had in months. Now, is this a cure-all? Am I saying, you know, if you've got any kind of ailment or weakness, just go fast, and, and that'll fix all? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if we'll listen to the Lord, he'll tell us when he wants to do something that's related to his kingdom, not this kingdom, but it'll make a difference in this one. He'll tell you. He'll show you. If you think this is crazy, too, I, if you happen to have Amazon Prime, any of you have that, then you get Prime Video with that. On Prime Video, there is a documentary called The Science of Fasting. It is fascinating. It comes strictly from a medical perspective. Nothing spiritual, just medical. Fifty years of research, both in Russia, Germany, and the United States. And as they go through, and they're documenting things. Now, I, sp I spent nearly a year in Russia, and I, some of you are thinking, are we getting medical advice from Russia? Um, there are some really good doctors and, and researchers in Russia, just like there are anywhere else in the world, all right? And this was fascinating, their research and their documentation of that research. And the same thing in Germany and then here in the United States. Here in the United States, there's a, an extensive study going on right now at USC, University of Southern California, at the Norris Cancer, uh, Norris Cancer Center there. And they are discovering there seems to be a trend and again it's early on in their research and they're having to go through and scientifically document this but patients in their oncology department who fast before they take chemo treatments have less severe reactions to the chemo and again it's a process they're studying it and looking at it because that flies in the face of normal medical counsel normal medical procedure is you need to to build up your strength before you take chemo um, and not, not fast, certainly. And yet they're finding some amazing things as they do this. So I was, I, I was watching this. I was, I was intrigued by all this. As a matter of fact, and again, if you watch this, there, and what's so neat is now man can actually catch up a little bit with what God knew all along. Because we have the technology to be able to look and see what's happening in the body when these things are going on. The most amazing thing, and they show this, how that the DNA structure in a cell 
changes when you're fasting and actually goes into a protective mode so that when you, the chemo comes in, and chemo basically just kills everything. That's what chemo is supposed to do. It kills. And as much as they try to make it specific, it still is pretty, it's pretty just you know, widespread in what it does. But the cells literally change so that the chemo has less effect on them. And they thought, well, what happens to the cancer cells? Do they change also and make it less make them resistant to the chemo, make it less effective, make the chemo less effective. They discovered that with the cancerous cells, they also change, but their, guard, their protection, this automatic protection, went away. It actually made them more susceptible to the chemo, so the chemo was more effective. It's an amazing thing, and again, it's early on in their research, and I'm not a doctor or a biologist, okay? I, I don't pretend. I don't even play one on TV. I'm not, okay? I don't know anything about that, but I do know this. I know that when God says something to us, we want to pay attention because there's a reason. There's probably multiple reasons why he says things to us. What is he saying? He's saying, if you'll trust me in these areas of giving and praying and fasting, you'll see that I will change what you love, what you hold on to, what you find dear. I'll give you a heart for a different kingdom. I'll do a work in there because that was his plan all along. We know this is true, by the way, I'm not just making this up with praying um, because, and, and anxiety, because we know Philippians 4, right? That's a very familiar passage of Scripture, all of us. Philippians 4, what does it say? It says, be anxious or don't worry about anything. Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace, what happens when we do this? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it won't make sense to your mind. That's what he's saying. He's saying your head won't figure this out. The peace of God which passes all human understanding will guard, take up, it'll take up a post around your heart. He'll stand guard. When my kids were little and they were afraid to go to sleep or they were worried about something or somebody was going to break in, you know, close the curtain, you know, there's a, there's a monster out there going to come in or whatever, and I would simply say, you know, nothing's going to get you. I'm not going to sleep right now. You go to sleep. I'm not going to sleep right now. I'll stand guard. Nothing's going to get you. And they're little, and they believe that, okay? I usually went in there and promptly went to sleep, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're little. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Our Heavenly Father never sleeps. He never needs it. He never gets tired. He never has to rest. He never, he never faces an enemy or a foe that's stronger than him. Never. And he says, this peace of mine, and Jesus said, I am the Prince of Peace, this, it, they will take up guard around your heart and around your mind where a lot of that anxiety takes place. Around your mind. They will guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus. That's what he'll do. I want to close with a story. It's in Luke chapter 2. It's the third woman mentioned in the Christmas story, and she often gets left out. She's probably the least well-known. In Luke chapter 2, verse 36. She is a woman named Anna. You know Mary, the mother of Jesus. Everybody knows that. 
You may be familiar with Elizabeth, her cousin, who had John the Baptist. But you may not be as familiar with Anna. There's only two, three verses in the whole Bible about her, right here in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. And Anna is an interesting one because she's connected with Simeon. If you remember that, right before Anna, it talks about, it talks about this prophet named Simeon. And he recognize, he's been waiting for Messiah, and he recognizes immediately when they bring Jesus into the temple. He recognizes this is Messiah. The Lord told him, this is Messiah. This is the one you've been waiting for. And so Simeon prophesies. An amazing prophecy. That we, we may look at that one of these Sundays in December. Amazing prophecy of what Simeon prophesied. But the, the Luke, as he's writing this on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells us what Simeon said. He doesn't really tell us much of what Anna said. He tells us who she was. But it's very significant what Luke tells us about Anna. It says, first of all, that she's a prophetess. There aren't many of those. There's only five or six women who are named as prophetesses in all of Scripture. She's a prophetess. In other words, she has insight. She has a heart for God. She hears from God. She declares these things of God. It says that she married as a young woman. Uh, We don't know how old she was when she got married, but we do know that she was married for seven years. And then her husband died. So she's still a young woman. If we took norms of that day and age, she, would have, she could have married anywhere from 13 to 15 years of age. That would not have been unusual in Israel at that time. And so she's married for seven years and her husband dies. And so she could be 20, 21, 22 years old. She may be a little older, maybe a little young. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But she's probably in her early 20s and her husband dies. It tells us that she is the daughter of Phanuel, which means the face of God. By the way, Anna or Hannah, both of them come from the same root, means grace or favor. And so this one who is the child, the daughter of one whose name means the face of God, and her name means means grace and favor, she is of the tribe of Asher. Asher is one of the ten northern tribes taken into captivity in Assyria by the Assyrian Um, when they came in in 722 B.C. and took the northern tribes back to Assyria. It's considered one of the lost tribes because they never fully made their way back to Israel. Some in the family did. But because she's from Asher, and it's significant that Luke included that, because she's from Asher, it would have been normal because it's one of the lost tribes, and there are very few of them back here in Jerusalem or back in Israel. She would have had a societal responsibility to remarry and have children, to help strengthen the tribe of Asher here in Israel. There would have been tremendous pressure on her to do that. She's young. It would have been common for that to take place. It would have been normal and natural for her to want to do that. She's a young woman. She's got a lot of life in front of her. The scripture says that she didn't do that. What did she do? She gave. See, often as Americans, we hear the word give and we think money. The greatest thing you'll ever give is you. This is the greatest thing you'll ever give is you. If you give you, everything else comes along with you. But you've got to give you. What did Anna give? She gave herself. It says she spent every day in the temple just seeking the Lord. Listening, prophesying. She had a reputation of being a prophetess. She was known for that. 
But do you notice in that scripture what it says she did every day? She prayed and fasted. Now, I don't know whether she fasted every day or if fasting was just a normal part of her life and happened consistently. It doesn't tell us that. It just simply says that Anna gave herself to the Lord and she was consistently involved in praying and fasting. What are the three things that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6? Give, pray, and fast. Now, you know the thing I love about this? I love about the Christmas story, especially with the women in the Christmas story. All three of them are, are a picture of this supernatural working of God to overcome anxiety and fear and dread by simply giving to the Lord, trusting, talking to Him in prayer. And the Lord added one for us, this fasting. Now, we don't know about Mary and Elizabeth. Scripture doesn't tell it, but we know about Anna. It was part of her life. I mean, look at all three of these women. Mary is a teenage girl who's in an arranged marriage to an, a much older man, all right? Whether she loved him or didn't love him is irrelevant, doesn't make any difference. And then she finds out she's pregnant. And Joseph finds out she's pregnant. Now come, folks. If Mary comes to you and she says, I'm pregnant, I'm with child. And she says, but it's by the Holy Spirit. How many of you are going to believe her? Really, come on. By the Holy Spirit, that's a new one, okay? You're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You mean God did it, all right? Yeah, God did it. Nobody, other than Mary and Joseph, nobody else, and Jesus, nobody else really knows that. Mary knows it because she knows. Joseph knows it because the angel came and told him. And Jesus knows because he's Jesus. Even in Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees threw it up to him and said, we were not born in sin. All of his life and ministry, it, it followed along with him. Nobody believed Mary when she said, God did this. And she had to know she wasn't that naive. She had to know no one in her culture is going to believe her. And yet there is just a trust, a willingness to say, Lord, I will exchange the stuff of this kingdom that seems so important for a kingdom I can't see. As a matter of fact, Mary said to the angel when he spoke all these things to her, she said, be it unto me according to your word. In other words, I hear what you're saying, Lord, and I believe you. Can I tell you why, for many of us, we don't experience the freedom that, that the Scripture talks about, whether it's worry or anything else? We simply don't believe. Can I tell you something that, that the Lord wants you to believe today? He wants me to believe today. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. Not one, not one time, not once more for the rest of your life. You don't have to. Now, will you? Probably. Will I? Probably. But I don't have to. And neither do you. I don't have to go there. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to worry about my spouse or my children or my parents or my grandparents or my grandchildren or my job or my home or how this is going to work out or how I'm going to do this or how I'm going to make that happen. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about the church. 
I don't have to worry about how are we going to do that, Lord? I don't have to worry about, well, what if someone thinks this is the right way and someone else thinks this is the right way and I don't know which one's the right way. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You can have a, you can have a Christ-free anxiety or you can have an anxiety-free Christmas. It's available. Jesus wouldn't have said so otherwise. He is not a statist. He wouldn't have dangled it out there if it wasn't available. He wouldn't have said, here, I want you to have this. I want you to experience it. Do you see Jesus worrying? You do see him struggling with some things, in the garden in particular. But do you see Jesus worried and fretful? The man laid down in a boat in the middle of a storm and went to sleep. He didn't struggle. He didn't struggle with anxiety. Everybody else around him was worried, but he wasn't. They woke him up, Lord, we're going to drown. And you're just laying there asleep. Why was he not worried? You say, well, he's God. Yes, but he's also man. And he wasn't worried. Because he had given everything to his father. Because he was constantly talking to his father and listening. And because he realized that having something delayed, having desires delayed, was not a bad thing. It was actually a good thing. Do you know what happens to a person who lets go of stuff, who walks in communion with the Father, and who recognizes that time is not the enemy? Do you know what happens to that kind of individual? They don't worry. They don't worry. What have they got to be worried about? I've got nothing here that really matters. Nothing that not, it matters, but you understand what I'm saying. It doesn't control my life. I'm constantly talking and listening to the Father. So He's speaking and He's changing and transforming my heart. And I'm learning every day that the stuff that this flesh may crave and that the system may crave, it can be delayed. I can wait. And I'll do more than just survive. I'll thrive. I want to live that way. Do you want to live that way? I want to live that way. It is my birthright. And it's yours too. I want to live that way. Jesus said, I want that for you. That's what I want for you. Every single one of us. I want you to bow your heads. Lord, would you come fly? Can I ask you a question this morning? What are you worried about? You say, Troy, I'm not worried, I'm concerned. Okay, whatever you want to call it. We pretty it up as much as we can. But when you strip it all back, is it causing you to be fretful? Is it causing you to be anxious? Is it causing you to lose sleep? Is it causing you to not be able to have any joy in life? Is it causing you to dread tomorrow? You can call it concerned if you want to. But I think the scripture 
would say we're anxious, we're worried. So what are you worried about? Would you be willing right now As the Spirit leads you, I'm not going to try to lead you or manipulate you, but as the Spirit leads you, would you be willing just to say, Lord, I believe you. I don't have to worry. I believe you. I don't understand it, but I believe you. It's okay to be honest. I don't understand how it all works either. But I can tell you when I've experienced it, it's true. It is a peace that passes all human understanding. You don't have to worry. Now, as you're talking to the Lord, would you say, Lord, I believe you that I don't have to. I also believe that you've ordained at least these three things, probably more, but at least these three, to help me. Learn how to let go of this kingdom and embrace another. So Lord, as you direct, as you speak, as you direct me by your spirit, I give, I pray, I fast. As you direct. One of those, if you're like me one or maybe even more than one but one of those probably stands out as harder than the others so in that particular one I say Lord especially here I'm trusting you to do a work here that I can't do I can't even see how it can be done that might be giving giving yourself giving everything it might be praying it might be fasting but whatever it is you know Say, Lord, I'm trusting you with that because I don't see how to do it. But I'm believing that you're working a work in me that is supernatural. For you chronic warriors, and you know who you are, it has become your identity. It's a, it's a badge. It's a name badge you wear. You know it. The people around you know it. But it's not who you are. It's not who Jesus says you are. So no longer believe it. Don't believe it anymore. It's not who you are. It's not the name badge he wants you to wear. He's given you a new name. He's given you new life. You don't have to be. I don't have to be a chronic warrior. That's not my calling, and it's not yours. Believe that. If you believe nothing else this morning, believe that. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us.
Help us believe, Lord, today that we can care about things without worrying about them. That the two aren't necessarily the same. We can care about people but not have to worry. We can care about your kingdom being advanced, your will being done here. But that doesn't mean we have to worry. Lord, help us. Speak to us, Jesus. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by your word, your, your revelation to us, Jesus, to so speak. So that we will believe. I thank you for the freedom that you are giving and you are bringing even now. I thank you that as we walk from this place into the next thing, today, tomorrow, this week, Lord, that you're producing a supernatural result. Lord, that that seed that you planted, Lord, every promise of yours is a miracle in seed form. Lord, that seed is beginning to, it's beginning to sprout. It's beginning to bloom. The miracle is at work. So, Lord, today we thank you for that in each one. I'm going to dismiss in just a moment. I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come to the front before I do. And I want to encourage you that if there is anything in your life that we can pray with you about today, it doesn't matter what it is, anything, anything that we can encourage you, we're here to do that. And you say, Troy, I don't even know if I can walk, I don't know if I can move and walk up there. Just stay seated where you are. They'll look around. They may see you and come up and say, hey, can I pray with you about something? Give us the privilege. We'd love to have the honor of just going with you to the Father be able to talk to him, to trust him. And I want you to hear something. I want you to know my heart in this. I am not minimizing whatever it is that you're wrestling with or you're worried about. I am not minimizing the fact of how significant it is. I'm not saying that it's meaningless. I'm saying that Jesus has a better way. He has a better way. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be anxious. He's got a better way. So, Lord, I pray for each one. Help us today. Help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stop by and see Christy as you go on your way out. If you have more questions about loving, God bless you. You're dismissed.